Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Custard TV podcast. Joining me, um, I would say, as ever, uh, we've got Dawn, Glenn, who uh, has had a bit of a mishap this week. My husband caught this flu, not COVID allegedly. Uh, he hurt his back coughing. Then I caught it, woke up with a very sore foot, couldn't walk on it, don't know why that got better. Then my, the shelf in my fridge snapped, and then the leg fell off my glasses. So um, it's been a week, really. It's been great. And also uh, back with us is Sarah Kennedy. How are you, Sarah? More lucky um, than Dawn? Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> Let's keep our fingers crossed. Long may that continue. <laughs> Today we have Wolf, which is the new drama slash thriller uh, from BBC One on uh, Prime Video, The Return of Good Omens. And then uh, two comedies, again, BBC One, Power of Parker. And on BBC Three, we have got Dreaming Walls Black. But now everyone's favourite segment, what have we been watching uh, over the past few weeks? I think, we have we all been keeping up with Hijack? Because I know that's a fave. No, oh, I haven't. Sarah. Sorry. I thought I'd done all my podcast homework, but I hadn't. There was no. unwritten homework to be done. Me and Dawn have been watching Hijack and are we, still enjoying it very we much. Are- uh, sending our theories to each other, which I don't really have many, but um, everybody's a wrong in is the, is mm. the Evil Kevin Eldon is is brilliant. <laughs> oh, Evil Kevin Eldon will be a treat. I think maybe I'll um, have a cup of tea and a slice of cake and watch that after the podcast. Every episode, you'll get like a new like character actor or someone you recognise. Like you know, Ruth Sheen popped up for an episode. We had Rufus Jones this episode. <laughs> I didn't follow all the stuff about the um, stock exchange stuff because I generally don't. So I didn't quite understand. Oh, you'll, you'll know who else uh, feels that way. That's Luke Knowles. He said the exact same thing to me yesterday. <laughs> good, good to know. There's more than one of us. I was like, I don't understand what this is all about other than money. But OK. <laughs> I'll say the fifth episode had me shouting no at the TV more than any other episode. The last three minutes or whatever it was, I was just going, no, 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 no. The fifth one or the most recent one? Most recent one, sorry, sixth That's one. Sixth. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we should maybe use that as a, a rating system. It would be better than thumbs up or thumbs down. How, how many times do you go, oh. How many times do you shout at the TV per episode? How exciting but, is it? And something <laughs> Luke was saying to me that I hadn't heard before was that they're thinking of doing a second series. I don't know how much that would work, really. 
How unlucky yeah. would you be to be hijacked somewhere, somewhere completely different all over again? Like they did do eight yeah. seasons of 24 and then like more 24 with like in that London. I think if they did like a series with the character, but something different, you know, he yeah. wasn't being hijacked. Yeah, if he's sent in as a negotiator, if like the the security services are like, hey, we'll employ you, you did so well there. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Him and I, I reckon that he should keep on Eve Miles is like yeah. his Chloe O'Brien. Yes, I love Definitely. her. Uh, Sarah, what about you then? Have you what have you been watching? Anything? Well, I yeah. think this might be one of the oldest things that I've circled back to. <laughs> about a year ago, almost exactly, people were banging on about Welcome to Wrexham. I finally started watching it. Oh, yeah. I only meant to watch a couple. I watched four in a night and suddenly it was one o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's almost like everyone was right. <laughs> <laughs> See, we, I never watched past maybe the first two episodes we did for the podcast. I thought it was hmm. fine, but I wasn't like enamoured by it. So it's a good underdog story. And I'm assuming that that will be a second season with them. Sort of oh, definitely. Going yeah. up. As much as I know my sports, there you go. Um, <laughs> sports do oh, seem to continue. Every time in the summer you think, well, that's the end of football. They've finished football now because they know who won football, but it keeps coming back again. I think they keep inventing more football. They do, yeah. <laughs> Exhausting. Uh, what about the bear? Have any of you started the bear or finished, have yes. you finished the bear? I've only seen the first two again. Ugh, it, it's the same as last time. I just feel like it needs to be kept for best. <laughs> but I, I am really enjoying the change of pace because mm. the first series, you just had to cling on for dear life. They literally, in the storyline, they're able to sort of pause and be a bit more reflective. And that also, you know, transpires in the show itself. And everyone gets almost like their own episode, don't they? Have you finished it, Dawn? No, I haven't. I um, I, stopped, I watched I watched episode five, and then my, one of my friends who'd watched it all said, "Don't watch episode six while you're ill, because it's and Luke had." That is the stressful one, Sarah. Yes. Episode six. Okay, yeah. thank you for preparing me. And it's an hour long as well, yeah. so you yeah. need to. Oh Luke, no, that means it's really important us... and something bad's going to happen. Interesting cameos as well. Episode 7 has a very interesting cameo in it who I wasn't expecting to pop up in the bear at all. I finished it and I really enjoyed it. As as you said, different tone, different pace. Richie gets his own episode and um, I keep forgetting the name of the baker dude, but he gets his own episode, doesn't he, in Amsterdam. As with all of the American shows at the moment... Fingers crossed, I suppose. Mm, yeah. And one more thing on on my end, because we've had a week off, so I've been able to watch some telly. Um, I watched all the Poker Face. Hey! Oh, it's such a joy. I love it. It's the kind of thing that's so detailed and so clever, I could go and watch it all over again. That's that's what I was going to say. It's, it's the kind of show you can just watch one episode, which is so mm. many shows are, you know, a, a story. You would have to watch mm. the whole series. You can just watch an episode of Poker Face. Yeah, it's definitely the way it's changed in streaming, isn't it? You know, every, everybody needs like a the final three minutes have to be a death-defying cliffhanger. But this, you know, it's a continuing story and yet it wraps up nicely each episode. It sort of came differing quality episode by episode, depending on how strong the story was, you know, in the episode. The, the, yeah, and how memorable the, the situation and yeah. the characters because me and Luke were talking about it yesterday and I'd completely forgotten about the NASCAR one. That I think yeah. was the weakest 
weakest one. Whereas like the I'm assuming Sarah, you love the the one with the band with Chloe Seven. How did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> I think I watched it either just before or just after getting back from Download Festival as well. So it, it really resonated. And the and the one in the old folks home I really liked the one with Nick Nolte as the guy making all the weird models in his yeah. garage. A definite recommend. Natasha Leone is awesome and how can someone be that cool? And again, fingers crossed for a second season. Dawn, anything else to add to this? Uh, yeah, I've watched so much television. Okay. <laughs> um, I watched All of Shrinking, which um, had passed me by when it came out uh, and really liked it, didn't expect it to, but I loved it. Harrison Ford is amazing in it. So just he's just Harrison Ford, though, you know, the grumpy old man with a warm heart. But it's a um, different genre for him to be working yeah. in, isn't it? Because he's doing the one of those 90, you know, one of those Yellowstone spin-offs as well, but this is him doing comedy I suppose to an extent as much as he can I think it is very much Indiana Jones type of character but um as a psychotherapist instead of a (laughs) (laughs) but shrinking is very good and it had a nice ship in it Uh, the the shrinking ship I didn't see coming I thought that was going to just be a platonic relationship and then it wasn't so I was like oh okay and that way I really enjoyed that one Uh, I also watched survival of the thickest on Netflix which is a uh, another uh, black female-led comedy about being plus size in the fashion world, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I've watched the first series of The Great, got the other two to go, really liked that. And uh, once I was feeling... Huzzah, like, huzzah, I should say to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the most recent thing I watched is The Sixth Commandment, which obviously you reviewed in the podcast and was, you know, rightfully said it was incredible. Absolutely sensational TV. Yeah. It was the most difficult thing to watch, the first two episodes. I, I watched it all in one day because... Oh, Jesus, though. <laughs> no, I wanted to watch it all in one go because I knew the start would be depressing, but the end would be the trial. So yes. I wanted that... Uh, the closure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I needed the closure immediately. So I was... watched the first episode, took me a full 15 minutes to remember I knew what the case was. Because I was so wrapped up in in the first victim's life. And uh, then I had a big snotty cry at the end of it. But the sadness of getting older, of living alone, of not being able to trust people, you know, of like, is it ever worth falling in love again? How do you stop old people making mistakes, you know, when they're sort of gullible and sweet? And it was very close to home. (laughs) Very big feelings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I actually there was bits of the first one I had to just sort of fast forward because it's like my thing that I cannot watch is uh, confused old people. I just mm-hmm. can't hear it at all. Mm. So there was bits I was like, I can't bear this. I can't bear this. Just just get to the point of the end of it, you know, when he starts having these funny turns. Yeah. I just couldn't. I mean, the, the the actor playing the bad guy is he an Irish actor? He was stunning. Oh, he was amazing. Have you seen, have you seen pictures of the, the actual guy who did yeah. it? Yeah. They're like twins. They've done yeah. such a remarkable job with casting and with makeup and stuff. Incredible. I know, and I was thinking, you know, how awkward it must have been for him and Anne Reed to have to film those kissing scenes and things. It must have been so weird for them. Yeah. They must have like got to know each other and trust each other like very yeah. rapidly. Yeah. In the first, I thought as well, you know, all the things you were saying is what it talks about. I thought as well it was an important thing about religion, about how we treat 
uh, LGBTQ people. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and, and how, how hopefully that way of life would be like completely alien to anyone growing up in that faith exactly. sexuality today. I don't think it is, sadly. No, probably um, not. I have grown up in the church, so I do know, uh, sadly, the way things are. It is changing, but I think it's completely down church to church, you know? Mm. And as you saw, you know, the priest that he speaks to, who's obviously very encouraging and, and accepting of his, of his situation, it's totally down to the priest, and it's, it's the church as a whole who have the say. Anything else from you, Sarah? I just want to mention one thing, and I'm really sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, I am so in love with The Righteous Gemstones. I'm catching up on series three now. I think it's it's airing now in the UK. And so delighted to hear that a series four has been commissioned. Okay, I thought there was more coming than that. No, that's it. Basically, <laughs> basically I was excited to bring TV news to the podcast. Sky Comedy is, is is where you can find the Righteous Gemstones. So there you go. Never watched it myself. That's the Danny McBride thing, That's isn't it? That's right. It's completely like larger than life Southern um, televangelist family and how they present themselves to the world and how actually ridiculous, preposterous and ugly they are in real life. It's really, really good. And John Goodman's in it, I believe. Yeah, as well. and there's is often it, there's often like... Uh, gospel and country singing and dancing as well which is great oh nice well there you are we've given you a list of things to watch guys you know yeah but we're so sorry my list is really long too guys they <laughs> do some plugs uh dawn has a podcast the shipyard we'll just mention that um where can we find that dawn you can find that on uh, the shipyard ust um on youtube and spotify and on um all the other social platforms okay and sarah have we got anything on why now at the moment yes um on why now at the moment i'm talking about in the lead up to good omens i'm talking about um successful tv shows that went off book for whatever reason so they started out as a novel and either they stopped before the series of novels ended which was wild to me why would you do that um or or they for one reason or another they completely changed and turned uh, away from the source material and where can i read that sorry Sarah? that is at whynow.co.uk uh, where can we find you on x <laughs> i can't believe that i'm still there <laughs> what a tragedy what an embarrassment um so on x aka twitter um the logo that now looks like it might be porn it might mm. be um alcohol or like a perfume for gentlemen i mean just the logo smells of lynx africa i am at sarah hamstera you're right i feel like i have to use an incognito browser every time i log on to twitter now i feel um, i am don glane too and yeah i'm at matt's tv bites and uh luke and the web all the website updates at luke custard tv um, on there at the moment, Dawn has been a very busy girl. Uh, review of Hijack, review of The Power of Parker, and a sort of, uh, is it a dream come true or your interview yeah. that you did? Yeah, definitely. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, my first, <clears throat> excuse me, my first one-on-one interview, I interviewed uh, Paul Coleman, the co-creator of Power of Parker and the co-creator of Carshare, which is I will see my second favourite show, and I'm sure they won't mind that, because uh, Dinner Ladies is my first of all time, is Car Share. So uh, it was really nice, and he was absolutely lovely, 
very open and chatty and, and you know, and I, I did bring up car share in fear and trepidation, but I felt I had to. So, um, but yeah, it was lovely. So that was nice. We're very pleased that you did, Dawn, because you're right. You would have been hauled over hot coals if you hadn't mentioned it. Yes, I would have. I'm sure he gets asked about it a lot. So. Oh, at least <laughs> three times a day, I'm sure. <laughs> and if you'd like to be a part of either the website or the podcast, uh, you can get in touch via those Twitters that I mentioned, via Facebook, via Instagram is it's the custard TV, which is also run by Dawn Glenn. Um, I'm not sure why she does so much for us, but you know, thanks Dawn. Or custard TV reviews at gmail.com is the email. Right now, without further ado, let's get to the reviews. Uh, we're starting with uh, Wolf. This is a new six part drama. Uh, it is on Monday and Tuesday nights for the next three weeks, all up on iPlayer now. And Sarah's going to run us through the plot. And Sarah, you may as well, because you've got a sort of a lot of notes on this, if you want to tell us what you thought as well. Believe you me, I'm going to say exactly what I thought of this. OK. Um, so this is uh, the story of D.I. Jack Caffrey, who's played by Equelli Roach. He's obsessed with a neighbour uh, that he thinks abducted and killed his 10 year old brother in 1998. First sort of 10 minutes, it felt like quite a long time of the show was this sort of silly, spooky horror dream about his brother, Ethan. Tis the season for chicken fingers at Raising Cane's. Warm up with cooked order chicken fingers, crispy crinkle cut fries, Texas toast, and the real source of holiday magic, cane sauce. Happy holidays from Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. And then we find out that he is living in the family home in London to keep an eye on the creepy neighbor, uh, who looks like a creepy neighbor, he has long, lank hair and a jumper. He looks like Neil Oliver from Coast, only slightly I, less insane. I thought Nigel Planer in The Young Ones, that was him. That, yes. Oh, but <laughs> if, Nigel's If Neil was growing up, that's what he would look like now. <laughs> um, he is living there with his girlfriend, Veronica, who is basically a cardboard cutout of a girlfriend. <laughs> she says, I'm not trying to be insensitive about your poor dead brother tidying away the shrine that is this child's bedroom. Um, as she's being incredibly insensitive. It's just ridiculous. Um, then later on, she plays the cancer card. So my little ears pricked up, that being a favourite topic of mine, if you can call it that. And I thought to myself, if you were facing like uh, cancer, then perhaps he would be a bit more sensitive to messed up people in grief and mourning. But it turns out that that's a big if. Anyway, disregarding her because she is so boring. Um, she's basically just a cipher for Jack to sort of be sad around and um, her to basically tell him to pull his socks up. Um, so when he goes to work, all the crimes on the board from the past 24, which is not what anything, a term I've ever heard before, uh, are hideous. They're like something out of Gotham City. They're like, brace yourselves, guys, because this is the direction this show goes in. Also, Jack, stunning bedside manner with an abuse victim, traumatising her into giving a statement and then he's treated like a superhero by his female superior which was 
just ghastly. I cannot even repeat what was said. It was so horrible. In one of the interviews I read, interestingly, one of the actresses in it said that it was a comment on violence against women. But I think that's a bit of a reach because this show seems to really relish in extreme violence and really enjoy it. So the second storyline, which I found more interesting, was this posh caricature family. Um, Owen Teal plays the dad, Oliver Anker Ferris, hyphenated, naturally, um, who recently had a heart transplant and is back from hospital. Posh mum Matilda is Juliet Stevenson, and they've got an emotionally stunted daughter and a little white dog there as well. So there's a shrine down the road in some unspeakable horror from five years ago. And I did write down a little bit here about um, the sort of like tension between like maybe English families moving into Wales. Uh, the cops at their doorstep thought that this was their holiday home, but they were very defensive about it. Improbably, the detectives are Detective Molina and Detective Punny, which sound like names from Cluedo. <laughs> um, and I think it was at this point where I wrote down, there's a number of actors here who are far too good for this series. I, I think that the case that they are referring to from five years ago, where there's like dangling like bits of bodies in like trees i believe but... it was a spleen oh thank you <laughs> which are... oh, no, no what was it <laughs> it was an intestine it looks like intestines because there's loads of yes. those isn't there so you could yes. go full sort of Apologies. festival bunting with those they they arrived to intestines dangling in the garden um <laughs> and apparently that's been done before and i think the case that they're referring to is the donkey pitch murders now, mm -hmm. I had to listen back to that three or four times because that's ridiculous. Why on earth would you choose that as the name of your, like, terrifying murder spree? Just absolutely ridiculous. It's like um, the monkey tennis murders, isn't it? It's one it is, isn't it? I know it's preposterous, but it just sort of pulls you out of this nonsense even further each time. So Sasha Darwin and Ewan Rion are a joy. These guys are basically the only reason I would continue watching. Um, I think maybe sort of 10 minutes through, I wrote down, this looked different and I had reasonable hopes, but within the first eight minutes, proved itself to have all the emotional depth and realism of an airport novel. Uh, the characters are cardboard cutouts and I'm not sure exactly why I should care about them. And then 10 minutes to the hour, I wrote down, everyone is totally unhinged. <laughs> Restraint flies out of the window as Detective Honey reaches for a massive slice of what looks like quite dry cake. <laughs> um, and then I did realise, though, as the flimsy sort of cops uh, reveal themselves to actually be weird, sinister, like murdering psychos, I was giggling a little bit. <laughs> My concern here is that I cannot stand it if those two are not in every scene, sort of Quentin Tarantino style. My concern is that Aqueli Roach, who I've seen reviewed really well, uh, he plays a character we're supposed to be rooting for, and he was completely irrational, but also deadly dull, if that's possible. Didn't do it for me. Um, I think possibly because of the cardboard cutout he was given to work with in the script. Two complete psychos seem to be holding a posh family hostage in a house in Monmouthshire for no discernible reason, but we have seen horrible chunks of body lying around so it's all gone tits up yeah i'm kind of intrigued i i have a terrible confession to make i have watched the entire series 
Dawn, um, I hang on your every word and your every recommendation, and then sometimes you just throw a curveball like this, and I don't know what to make of you anymore. Whereas I watched one and one and a half, and then skipped to the last episode to find out what the point was. Yes, well, that was why. I re- I will say this: you will never, in a million guesses, guess the connection between the family and the murders from the first episode. Never. I could, you know, give you all the clues, and you would. I wanted to know what happened and what the story was, so I watched to the end. You only find out in the sixth episode. Before that, no idea. And it is the weirdest show I have ever seen. It is so bizarre and not in a good way. The stuff with the girlfriend and the and the cancer, you know, in the, when it turned out she was faking having cancer uh, just to keep him going, no relevance to the plot whatsoever. Never I had a feeling that might be the case. Because there's another, there's a new love interest, isn't yeah. there? Sean Williams pops up in there, who I, I like as an actress. I think she's very she good. She is, yeah, I really love her as an actress. And she plays this part well. I think it's meant to be like a comment on the kind of male Gene Hunt type police detectives, but she's a woman. But she, she and Jack have the most toxic, violently sexual, sexually violent, whichever way you want to look at it, relationship. and. It goes on through the whole series, and I'm like, am I meant to be rooting for them as a couple? Because they're really bad for each other. And It she's... just felt like a show that was just trying to push people's buttons and just yeah. be visceral and be gross and be horrible for no particular reason. There's so much weirdness in the plot. The stuff he and Jack investigates, he uncovers a lot of stuff about it. It's two teenagers who, are, who were murdered in the donkey pitch murders which i agree is the worst name ever and um literally any other animal any other fields just put those two together just doesn't roll off the tongue at all and it i kept thinking they were saying donkey picture donkey bitch what um uh, he he finds out a lot of stuff about the teenagers and their life and the culture of living there and all this stuff and that you know there's the rich it's very rich area and and you think it's going someplace, and then it doesn't. And then there's a whole bit that comes in. This isn't a spoiler to say it because it's just it's not hugely significant. Because there is a group of people called the River People who are living on the river as a sort of commune slash cult, and they've all got guns and are randomly going boom boom shooting off things. I've no idea why. And they're just like the police are like, ah, oh, we can't do anything about them. So there's like. Two whole episodes where there's all these scenes with guns in the middle of Mormonshire. What? <laughs> I, I liked your gun noise there, Dawn. <laughs> yeah, I can't do a gun noise, sorry. Now, did you guys persevere with Inside Man, the Stephen Moffat weird thing that was on? It is very like Inside Man. That was exactly what I'd written down, Sarah. Because, uh, I mean, even though David Tennant is yes. an absolute dreamboat. I couldn't deal with that show. It was so weird and disjointed and it seemed to have a lot to say in big capital letters, but it never really went anywhere. So, yeah, it's weird very... for weird sake, I, I gave up with it. The dialogue is weird. There's a lot of leaps he makes in conversations, you know, into uncovering stuff. And you're like, what? Where did that happen? He goes to see, um, he's, he has the dog and he's going round door to door. And he ends up at Reg from Mum, which I was delighted to see his face. Oh, yeah. I saw him pop up in the last episode. 
it turns out he's the grandfather of the teenage girl that was murdered. And he just suddenly starts telling him about it. And But then goes, no, I didn't realise you were the policeman. And then he lies about the fact he was there at the time. And, and I was just like, what's going on? And and there's a line after um, the uh, two guys in the house are reveal they're not policemen and, you know, handcuff them up and do all this stuff and then they leave. And Juliet Stevenson goes, they're not police. Police wouldn't do that. Like, really? <laughs> Although they don't come across many people if they if that's their main house and they've just got a flat in London. There is bits of the plot are, are very clever in terms of the uh, the bit that you like best, Sarah, the, the, the two guys in the house. Their plot is very interesting in the end, and I enjoyed that bit. I got the impression, Dawn, from watching episode one that it would have been more concise had it been less episodes. Is that yeah. how you feel having watched it all? Yeah. I think there's too many red herrings, too many taking some, you know, down another avenue of, of thought. And I think it would have been better to have more clues so that you, the audience, can go, oh, I see where this is going, instead of totally blindsided mm. and the Im- important information only revealed in the sixth episode. This first episode was a chore. I had to sort of put it down and come back to it. Um <laughs> It's just so slow and you know where that story is going. You know where, because we've all seen, the, well, most of us have seen the trailers. We've seen the sort of the, the couple and the daughter being terrorised by the faux cops, but you have to get to the last, the end of that episode for them to reveal, oh no, they're not actually police officers at all. And then, as you say, you've got the main character, the Quelly Roach character, who... As you say, Sarah, the the stuff with the domestic abuse victim was just complete. There was about three bits where, you know, working for the police as well, it's like he would have been sacked here, he would have been sacked here. He would have probably been reprimanded for stealing loads of evidence bags and taking them home with him and putting all these little things about his brother um, there. Also, um, having watched the end of the series, do you Mm. think they're setting up for series two? Yes. Oh, are. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big, oh, like, there he comes series two. And he's become even more not caring about how he, what he does things. That, as long as the end result gets the job done, that's become mm. his attitude at episode six. This is by the writer Megan Gallagher, who whose last series, Sarah, if you remember, was Suspicion. That weird um, thing with Uma Thurman was in it. It was like all these yeah. interconnected people. Raj from the Big Bang Theory was in it. Yeah, there were five people who end up in a London police station because was it Uma Thurman's child was kidnapped? Yeah, and that yeah. was that was really boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Megan. I really struggled with that first episode, knowing where it was going, and. The the sort of the main guy who you're meant to like, they did not give you any reason to like, you know, we've got all this craziness going on, but we need an audience proxy. But in the first 20 minutes, he's having a go at his girlfriend who he believes has cancer. She then reveals, oh, it was just a scare. Yeah, I just really struggled and I'd, I wanted to like it because of what I'd seen on the trailers. It looked I mean, a lot. What a cast to just yeah. waste. Mm. That's, uh, <laughs> as we say, all on iPlayer or uh, three weeks, Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, and now on to uh, Prime Video, we go for the second season of Good Omens. 
Essentially, and I, I'd forgotten everything that happened in season one, even though, you know, I really liked the book, I really liked the show. Uh, but this is sort of the continuing chronicles of Aziraphale and Crowley, uh, Michael Sheen, who is the angel, David Tennant, who is the demon, and their sort of bromance, I suppose, in a way, is, is how you would describe this. Now, Sarah, this am I right in thinking this is a new story Neil Gaiman has created because that's right. Yes, the book um, was season one, and yeah. I was reading as well that if there is a season three, that will be the sort of the mooted plot that he and Terry Pratchett were sort of constructing. Yes, that's right. They that. had yeah. loads of notes. They had a mm. long talk with each other about the fact that they should write a second one. But it was just on the precipice of them both becoming like extraordinarily famous for their own works. So they never got round to it. And then sadly, Terry Pratchett got Alzheimer's and died. And uh, Neil says that he was thinking about writing two um, as he was on the plane back from Terry's funeral when he says nothing was funny. But he knew that he had to because that was uh, kind of like it's a bit dramatic, but almost like a dying wish. So... The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus he wants to honor his friend and how could you possibly call it done after that first series mm. because of just everybody loved Crowley and Aziraphale so much and they they obviously love doing it as well and that just like radiates happiness from the screen mm. my major criticism spoilers because we haven't even discussed the the um, nature of the episode yet it's just the pacing is all over the place I mean all over the place and always was all the way through series one but it's charming and it takes you with it I mean, there isn't a lot of plot, really. The main thrust of this first episode is that a naked John Hamm falls from the sky and appears outside um, Aziraphale's bookshop. He doesn't know who he is. It turns out he's the Angel Gabriel. Uh, Both Heaven and Hell are sort of trying to work out where he is and what's happened to him and are trying to sort of get him first. Only thing he has with him is a a large box with a fly in it. And the end of the episode sees the central duo perform a miracle to High Gabriel, but this tips off heaven to his location. I have watched the second episode as well, which sort of focuses on the story of Job and the duo sort of involvement in that story. And you've then got also a subplot with, now it's Nina Sosanya and Maggie, what's the actress's name? I want to say it's Maggie Service. It's a name like that. They played nuns in the first season, uh, but they're both playing different characters here. Nina runs a coffee shop. Maggie runs a uh, record shop, which Aziraphale is the landlord of and doesn't let her pay any rent. 
And Maggie is desperately in love with Nina. And it seems like there's sort of almost like a rom-com plot that um, Aziraphale and Crowley are going to try and get them together as to put off the suspicions of the people from heaven about the miracle uh, that was uh, performed. The first thing that I wrote down was, have the wings gotten nicer? (laughs) In that opening scene where they're both angels, those wings, I just wanted to touch them and and be cuddled by those angel wings. Everything looks nicer, I thought. It looks, again, Mm. like Amazon money. You can see how much... Yeah, they absolutely. spend on everything, don't I you? I think they've actually bought real sets of angel wings. <laughs> um, and I really liked that opening bit with, with Crowley gleeful as he's sort of making the heavens and the universe and, and he's stopped in his tracks because that he's like, this is better than just, you know, something from um, that people can watch from Earth. I'm not making this for humans. Those bits where they are sort of like back in time are always the best bits. I think it was some um, episode three in the first series where it spent about 40 minutes with them going through different sort of moments in history together. And, and that was just absolutely killer. Nice little nods to the book um, in the coffee shop. The, they were playing an orchestral version of Bohemian Rhapsody, which I thought was really good. It's clear that Crowley wants to help his friend, but Hell tells him that he has to find Gabriel and bring him in. So it does feel a little bit like a sort of cop drama almost, doesn't it? Um, oh, my God, the pacing was slow. <laughs> setting up the record shop, setting up the coffee shop. And I found both of the women fairly unlikable. <laughs> the woman in the record shop was sad and mooning. and She you reminded know... me of someone who was on The Apprentice this last series. I oh, yeah. <laughs> in, you know, in the coffee shop. She was kind of mean and unhappy and clearly in a in a very dodgy relationship. If you can be absent for sort of like however many hours it was and get like a, a series of angry messages about it. Yeah, I watched episode two as well. And I liked learning more about Job's story and how that's going to fit in with what's going on. It's the stylistic choices that I wouldn't have made. And I think it's a bit difficult when you've read a book and loved it, you can disagree quite hard <laughs> with the changes that have, that have been made on screen. I've never really liked Heaven as the skyscraper with nothing in it and Hell as basement that's really claustrophobic because there are too many demons in it and it's it looks gross. I understand it, but I just don't think it's realised particularly attractively. Um, and then there's this thing about, is it in the first episode? They find a box of matches in heaven on the floor um, and they think that Gabriel's dropped that. So that seemed a bit like they were trying to sort of place a mystery. But I don't know. I'm very loyal. Of course, I'll watch all of it. But I just didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to. I think that's probably fair. I think I'm sort of in the same area, really, Sarah. I think it is the pacing... Now you've pointed out, it is all very sort of chaotic, but I think that fits in with the the characters. I think their chemistry is amazing. They bounce off each other perfectly. I love how a lot of it is just about sort of the admin of religion and, you know, the miracles and what goes on between heaven and hell and these two yeah, characters. Yeah, and how they sort of... sort of circumvent each other and work together and against each other in mm. this sort of yin and yang, like they couldn't be separated. 
Yeah, that opening scene I loved where he was talking about the suggestion box and God not creating a suggestion box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Hamm is brilliant as like the sort of the ultimate himbo. I liked it. He, he looks like he's having so much more fun. Like he had plenty of fun in the first uh, series, but he's having so much more fun now. But I, I'm I'm with you, Sarah. I'm going to watch it all. It's only six episodes um, and it's just a lot of fun. I think I watched four episodes and my thought was they've just gone, you know what? We know everybody's watching this for Aziraphale and Crowley. So let's just not bother with much of a plot. But, you know, we'll just put <laughs> enough in to have a reason, you know, something to follow. But when you think how complicated the, the you know, the first plot is, how mm-hmm. many characters interacting and involved in the story and how they're significant. And here it really only is um, them and Michael plus Nina and, and Maggie and, you know, um, Michael in heaven and Beelzebub and, and uh, Shaq is Miranda Richardson's character. There just isn't a lot to it. You know, it was very, save the world in the first series. And now mm. it's, yeah, let's make two people fall in love. I feel like Neil Gaiman has just leaned into what everybody loves about it. As you said, Sarah, the stuff in the past showing Crowley and Aziraphale's interactions and things they've done together through history, everybody loves that. So there is a lot of that. We see them in, you know, with Job and things, which I absolutely love the Job stuff with Peter Davison as Job and Ty Tennant as his son was fantastic. But there's also some more stuff in the Blitz with Steve Pemberton and Co. and Reese Shearsmith in that bit. And then there's stuff in 1890-ish with grave diggers in Scotland, grave robbers, I should say, um, you know, for the medical digging up bodies for medical reasons. Is that Birkenhair? It's not Birkenhair, but yes, of yes. that thing. Yes. And they are the best bits. And it, it's true. If you just put David Tennant and Michael Sheen doing anything, it's just entertaining. And that's... Well, yeah, you know, that's this is the reason why Stage came along, yeah. because they had so much fun together. There was a, a Comic-Con appearance where David Tennant was asked, who do you have most chemistry with as an, you know, an acting partner? And he said, well, I'm hoping it's my wife. And then he went, or should I be married to Michael Sheen? And everybody cheered because their chemistry is just amazing. And they are so, the the writing between them is so delicately perfect of how their characters, the minute bits of their characters and the, like the the apology dance that Crowley (laughs) does. That was wonderful. (laughs) And that that is something that they've had going in. It is believable as a relationship that is that old, that they have all these little things that they do for each other and you know they're these niggly things that annoy each other but also are the reason they like each other it's immaculately crafted as a relationship and of course huge shipping followers for the ineffable husbands and and it's really played into them it really is a sort of rom-com of a series more than the first one which was much more of a bigger plot it's taken it smaller but i think the core fans will like it even more for that reason. Whereas if you are a fan because of the, you know, the novels or or uh, more of a Pratchett fan or whatever, you will maybe find it a bit lacking, a bit dull, not enough going on. But the core fans are going to just eat it up with a spoon. Dawn, you feel like the right person to ask about this. Yeah. When people lean in so hard into what the audience wants, mm. is that ever the right thing to do? Or is that just like water taking the easiest course? I I think it's a difficult thing because I think in some cases, 
you are in a relationship with your your fans and you neither of you would exist without each other you do want to do what they want but it can come at the cost of you know it's both ways like how I met your mother did the opposite they completely ignored the fandom and said this was our idea from day one and we are sticking to it and it was the wrong thing to do and it was awful and tainted the show forever fans are never happy we're never happy and they always want something more so if you're constantly just giving fans what they want I think you have to have a balance so I think I think with Aziraphale and Crowley I think they're they're giving fans what they want but I think they are doing it in a way that is not tainting the characters and is not destroying what makes it special but just but I do think maybe there could be a bit more plot. The fans will adore this because it is so focused on Aziraphale and Crowley and their relationship. I mean, from the start, that scene when, when Gabriel's in the, the bookshop and uh, um, Fale's asking him, you know, do you know anything about why you're here? And he said, I only know I had to be there here. It's that feeling that you need to be with someone. You can't explain why, but you just have to you know things will be better if you're with them you know how that is and and he goes oh no 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 I don't know what you're talking about you know it's very romantic comedy stuff from the start so they're very leaning heavily into that so if you're not interested in that it might put you off a bit but I found it enjoyable but I lacking in plot so that is all on Prime Video now, all six episodes. Uh, now we move over to uh, BBC One, uh, BBC iPlayer again, uh, for The Power of Parker. This is a new sitcom uh, from the creators of Carshare. As Dawn mentioned, she's already interviewed one of them. So, of course, she's going to set this up for us. So, yeah, we are go back in time to 1990 for The Power of Parker. It is in the November of 1990 where um, Margaret Thatcher's grip on the country is loosening, um, uh, but Thatcherism is still riding high and someone who enjoys that life of Thatcherism is Martin Parker. He is a businessman, owner of electrical stores, a chain of electrical stores in the Northwest, and he um, is successful and he has all the trappings of that. He has a Merc, he has a nice big house, and he has a wife and two kids. But as well as that, he has a mistress of 25 years. Uh, Shan Gibson, who co-wrote and co-created, uh, is Kath, uh, his mistress, who is a hairdresser who works in a care home. And her best friend is Gladys, played by the always brilliant Sheila Reed. Kath is planning a nice celebration for their silver anniversary of, of being a couple. Uh, she buys a nice, sexy German milkmaid outfit, as you would in 1990. Meanwhile, Martin's wife, Diane, is throwing a big soiree for the French uh, exchange students that her, uh, from her daughter's school. And um, Martin gets a visit from his accountant, Alan, who breaks the news that finances are very bad, very bad indeed. And Martin agrees with that because he has taken money from some dodgy people called the Slater Brothers. Uh, he's owed them £6,000 and he can't pay it back. Alan has looked at all the finances and he says, you're going to have to do something. You need to sell your car. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, you need to get rid of the flat that you use as storage. Uh, and, it, you know, the storage in question is his mistress. 
So Martin goes around and does the unfortunate thing of um, breaking up with her, saying, this is it, you're going to have to move out the flat, it's over, I'm not interested. And uh, she takes it, uh, you know, about as well as somebody would who's been a mistress for 25 years. So Cass decides to go and confront Martin at his home. Thankfully, uh, his wife, Diane, does not answer the door, but um, Martin tells her again in no certain terms, it's over. And Cass, in a fit of rage, vandalises his car. And the revelation at the end of the first episode is that Diane and Kath are sisters. It does have this cliffhanger ending at the end of every episode. There is a plot running through it. And I, I forgot to mention the most important thing. It's a look special! At the very start, we see a raging fire in Martin's store and then we flash back, I think it's three days or um, yeah. several days earlier. Yeah. So this is a, a look special to begin. This is a very niche thing, but what I thought when watching this, I know Dawn, me and Sophie sort of off air a few weeks ago were talking about whose line is it anyway. We were. And they used to have a game called Film and Theatre Styles. If the Film and Theatre Styles was, if they'd asked them to do a Peter K sitcom style, it would <laughs> be The Power of Parker, because every line has a punchline, you know. There's no bit in there where characters have a conversation which isn't sort of jokey. To me, I think that loses the character a little bit. I think, you know, going back to Car Share and Phoenix Nights, you know, those had mm. characters you could believe in. The humour was more natural, even though, you know, certainly the characters in Phoenix Nights were a little bit larger than life. They still had that grounding, whereas here everyone feels a little bit heightened to the extent that I, I didn't buy into it. I mean, Martin reminds me of Swiss Tony, and and the sort the store setup is something. Believe you know these sort of little electronic stores that you see in every town, and the and the advert. But I just thought the characters. I didn't really care that much about the relationship. Sean Gibson is good as Kath, but again, it just yeah, I just couldn't buy into the characters really, which is a shame because I like everyone involved in this. Um, Rosie Caviero as well is is a good performer but I wanted to like it but it didn't hit me but then again it's a lot better than what was in that slot before which was Queen of Oz <laughs> oh, what I would say is it's inoffensive but unremarkable ouch <laughs> I am drawn to the performances here Conleth Hill is incredible I mean like obviously um, and I believe the part was written with him in mind he is uh, a cliche obviously um, and his father-in-law calls him a yuppie snob, and that is bang on. But I think he's kind of self-aware in a way that you don't necessarily often see in comedies, or certainly not in bad comedies. As he's breaking up with um, his mistress, it's really quite devastating. And there's this sort of, like, undercurrent of rage when things don't go his way. Um, and I also really like in episode two when we see the sisters together, and it does feel like it's going to have this ball-busting sort of feminism if they decide to sort of team up together against this man who's obviously been doing them both wrong for like 25 years is just incredible um yeah and I really liked the twist that they were they were sisters I did not see that coming um I've seen that people have been quite picky um about period pieces and period props online I must admit the thing that caught me out was um on the delicious looking buffet table for the French exchange students, which to my mind didn't have quite enough cheese. Um, 
<laughs> I, hang on a minute. There are baguettes there. Sure, of course there are. But tiger bread baguettes is what they look like to me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that was not available in the early 90s. Um, also, someone pointed out that the pied de terre, the flat, has got little fairy lights dotted around everywhere. Nah. I was a, a youngster in the early 90s. I would have loved to put fairy lights everywhere, but that wasn't really an, uh, that wasn't, that was a Christmas thing. It wasn't an all year round thing. So I think, um, you know, someone might have dropped the ball on a couple of items. Maybe they needed to employ someone slightly older to dress the sets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't love the first episode. I thought, um, I watched it because I was, I'll admit, I was afraid. I thought, oh, what if I don't like this? What if I don't like this? Um, but when I watched the first episode, I thought, oh, well, I don't dislike it. But I didn't love it until we got to the third episode, uh, which is really focused on the two sisters. They end up at a rave um, and it is hilarious. And I just, and they, there's something really interesting with the Slater brothers as well. We meet another Slater brother who is like, 14 or something and it's that I found that very funny um and all the stuff with um Steve Pemberton uh who's a, a guest star in uh, two episodes um I really found funny and uh, what it feels like to me is Victoria Wood in training nobody is ever going to be as good as Victoria Wood nobody will have her sharpness for northern dialogue but it's like it's taken from the school of, of Victoria Wood you know the same kind of um, as the the quote that I, that I really loved that I put in the the review, which was your yeah, life isn't all mills and boons. Well, it depends what bra you're wearing. To me, that feels very Victoria Wood esque. I I really like that that kind of dialogue. And I said as well, it's a bit Coronation Street. It feels like Blanche from Coronation Street, the kind of thing she would say. And the cast, you know, the cast makes it just so good. Connor Hill is just amazing. It is difficult because he is a deeply unpleasant person. He has very few redeeming qualities. So it is, I do find it is better when it focuses on the two sisters. They have great chemistry together and the, the care home, uh, Rhiannon Clement, um, I said to Paul when I spoke to him, she reminded me of Twinkle from Dinner Ladies. It's that same kind of very droll, very dry, 20-ish, just oh, everything's awful, you know. Um, and I really liked her performance. I think it's another one that it works better if you binge it. And I've seen a few tweets saying the same thing, where people said, well, they watched one and they were like, oh, I'm not sure, and watched the rest. But by the end, they were really enjoyed it. And I think it's, it will warm up. I mean, of course, there's plenty of people who are just going to hate it from the off. There all, there'll always will be. I, I, I'm definitely willing to give it a go. And as you say, if it's it, when the women are sort of together, yeah. then I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. Um, I mean, again, it's a sitcom. It takes a while to bed in. And it's the only yeah. one apart from, well, even Wolf I watched a little bit of. But Good Omens and, and the next show we're going to talk about, I've watched two episodes of. So it's only sort of fair that I'd, I'd do that with Power Parker as well. It's a kind of humour, you know, it is a broad kind of humour. It's not it's not the beer. Let's put it that but way. That's, you know? that's fine though, and yes. surely that is what the BBC, especially showing things yeah. on BBC One, should be aiming for. It's that broad, slightly blue family humour, really. And I think they do that really well. Oh, it just made me long for 1990 again. And life is simpler. <laughs> And obviously it's got all the sort of the retro soundtrack as well, yeah. which we've yeah, sort of... People were, people were complaining that, oh, it's set in 1990, but loads of the songs are from the 80s. 
Yeah. <laughs> because you give them on the radio in nineteen ninety. Love, yeah. Yeah, don't argue with Dawn. She remembers nineteen ninety. I do. Final show this week is uh, another I'll call it a sitcom comedy. It's not a yeah. comedy drama, is it really? Um, yeah, I think it's a proper comedy. This is Dreaming Whilst Black. It's co-created and stars Ajani Salmon. He plays Prabhanar, who, uh, when we first meet him, is working in recruitment. However, his real dream is to get his debut film, Jamaica Road, made. And he finds uh, that this may be realised when he bumps into Amy, who is a friend from film school. She is returned from Nigeria and is working in a production company, but as a dog's body rather than as high up as she wants to be. Uh, He gets the chance to pitch uh, for some funding for his film, but chooses to uh, stay at a meeting in his steady job rather than this new opportunity, uh, but ultimately decides to quit uh, during a rather sort of awkward moment at karaoke night. Uh, There's also a budding romance between he and a girl called uh, Vanessa. It's about him trying to get funding for this film and his experiences really i have watched uh two episodes of this loved it brilliant yes more please i loved <laughs> the oh, it's just a weird thing to say but i loved how they dealt with the microaggressions i've written that down as well so smart it was smart but it wasn't alienating it was telling people off f- for being a bit racist it was just these sort of things that he has to shoulder and like every black person has to shoulder. And I, I wrote down the fact that Quabs is the black consultant for the office. He's busting myths about the size of a black man's member, the jokes about all the black films having rape in them. Um, was just He just seems to take all this on and just sort of not quite shrugs it off, but knows that there's more important things that he needs to be concentrating on. However, that karaoke moment, I could see that why that would be the final straw for him. Then the little cutaway that they did when his colleague, the sort of very uptight white girl, who later on calls him a friend or goes, hey, mate, or whatever, she's the one who forces him to go and eat his food in the kitchen. Everyone else is eating hot food at their desks. But because his has come from home and is therefore weird, then there's a little tiny moment in the kitchen where you can see that it's only black and brown people having to eat their hot food in the kitchen and I was just like oh my god (laughs) it's just it's so uncomfortable but also extremely funny at the same time I just really liked him from the off I think they've made him extremely likable a bit daft and a bit lazy and a bit silly but his heart's in the right place and he really believes in what the script that he's got and it's nice that he's got supportive friends who believe in him too but those moments it is fantasy that he's taking charge and he's doing what he wants to and then you're ripped back to reality ah oh, my heart breaks for him yeah I've already recommended it to my friends and I, and I can't wait to watch did, the next did you episode. watch past episode one Sarah no I didn't no. have time that seems to be very much a episode one thing they don't certainly don't employ that in episode two and it feel it felt to me like they did it those first two times so when they do it and you think they're doing it and they're not doing it, if that makes sense very confusing yeah yeah 
I was like, is is he is he just fantasizing yeah. about like quitting his job or is he really quitting his job? Yeah. And I think that's the reason they do it. And it's certainly not something they employ in the second episode. And in the second episode, you get a lot more of his community and his family. And actually, like the the actors they get into play the family, you've got Joe Martin, uh, you've got Martina Laird, who we saw in Unforgotten, Roger Griffiths, who people probably know at the moment in uh, EastEnders plays Mitch, but back in the day was in Chef with Lenny Henry. So they've got quite a, a decent cast playing his family. And again, those sort of the micro regret. It's basically, you know, that I'm not racist, but mm-hmm. thing, isn't it? That's what they're playing on. There's some focus on Amy in episode two and her role in that company. The character of Lewis, who we meet in the first scene, you know, when he's trying to get a job, he seems to be a recurring character that never recognises Quabs. Whenever he pops up, he he goes to deliver a pizza to him in episode two and he thinks he's his drug dealer. And then you get the line, I'm not racist, I like Black Panther. But <laughs> <laughs> It's so uh, smart. I love it. And and you get like a sort of a family celebration in episode two. So it seems like, you know, there there is that plot and it, it the I need to get this this five thousand pounds to make this film, which is sort of quite a simple plot, but the, the different ways in he, how he tries to raise the money is sort of where the comedy comes from. And again, yeah, very clever, very smart. And my only question is, why is this on BBC three? Because it doesn't seem like mm. a, a youth sitcom. It feels like something that could be in that 9.30 slot where, and I know we've obviously said, you know, that it's it's more sort of popular humour, but I think this deserves more eyes on it, even if it's like a BBC Two at 10 o'clock slot. I don't, it feels just quite hidden away on BBC Three, but hopefully people will discover it on, on iPlayer. What about you, Dawn? I agree. I was thinking about, you know, Champion. Champion felt very inaccessible to me as a white person who knows nothing about the hip-hop world. But this, I think, is much more aimed at a white audience, hence all these microaggressions, uh, and the fact that he is a, 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 you know, a well-educated man in a, what would be traditionally a good job in recruitment. I think it's speaking to a white audience as well as the, the black audience because that's his story. But I think it's much more welcoming, but in a weird way because it's saying, look at all the things you do wrong. I thought there was one line in the first episode that I thought was just so telling. It's when he meets up with um, Amy and they're they're in the pub catching up and um, she's going home and she says to him, get home safely. And I just thought that is such a powerful but completely throwaway line, that you, you know, because normally it's the woman you would say get home carefully, but because he's a, a black man in London, you know, his life is more at risk. And I just thought that is such a tiny detail but just says so much that I mean all the microaggressions at his work you know and you can see he just kind of shrugs and rolls his eyes and okay but you get the sense of weariness constantly having to explain yourself and he he has uh, big dreads that he wears tied up and he references that you know that it's very divisive and so much about it but it is funny I mean I, I wrote down if you're laughing before the titled that's a good sign uh, when he's, he's going through Lewis's CV with him and he's like yes you haven't put a comma between cooking and dogs in your interest so it's like <laughs> it was I just it was very funny and just really and and the the scene you mentioned Matt about him being mistaken for the drug dealer and the joke is as he walks away the drug dealer comes and he does look exactly like him he's got the same hair mm-hmm. 
I, I watched the episode mm. and I, I really enjoyed it. I'll definitely finish the, the series. That is uh, Dreaming Whilst Black, also all on the i All of these are all on the iPlayer, apart from Good Omens, which is all on Prime. So you can watch all everything we've talked about today, okay. all four <laughs> seasons. That's us done for another week. Thank you to Sarah and Dawn. Next week, we will be talking about the returns of both Heartstopper and Only Murders in the Building. Do you want to just quickly uh, go through again your X Twitter X things where we can find you? It's not going to be called X for long. I'm doing the X Factor every time, by the way, that people can't see this because it's not video. I am doing the... But I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, Although, to be fair, I didn't think that Elon Musk would still be in charge. So what do I know? Regardless, I am still persevering at Sarah Hamstera. And I am still Dawn Glenn too. At Luke Custard TV, at Custard TV Pod. Uh, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, it's the Custard TV and uh, Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com. Uh, but until uh, next time, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.